Okay, and welcome to the Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. This is episode 61, and I feel that right now I should have some gangster rapper music because today's guest is probably the ultimate um, London gangster uh, who is masquerading as a uh, practitioner, researcher in strength and conditioning, who is one of my fellow homies <laughs> uh, at Middlesex University, um, Anthony Turner. How are you doing? Lauren, very good, thank you. Thank yeah. you for having me on. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we work together, obviously, uh, in various capacities. Um, you are um, uh, sort of the, the head hombre of performance at uh, British Fencing where um, I'm your colleague there as, as a nutritionist, of course. Um, but also we worked together um, at Middlesex University and we met initially um, because I did your strength and conditioning. Uh, uh, I, I took part in your uh, master's program in strength and conditioning last year. Um, but I obviously am now um, a lecturer, senior lecturer at Middlesex on, on our new MSc in sports nutrition that, um, that will soon be the most popular program in the land and your and your your strength and conditioning program the listeners will hear it here first will be the second most popular program <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure i'm not sure so but. listen um mate the uh, uh listeners um um may not have heard of you um some of them will of course those that are in strength and conditioning i know you're sort of the uh, the underground uh, uh mafioso um, uh, 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 of the industry, um, but if you want to just give the listeners a quick idea about who you are and your research interests and that sort of thing. Yes, so work at Middlesex University where I'm the director of programs for the postgraduate degrees. I look after the MSc in strength and condition, which we've been running now for about seven years, and um, also as part of my role. I work with different sports teams, like you said, I look after the physical preparation within British fencing, uh, Saracens, we do some, some consulting with Saracens as well, QPR, and we have some sort of ad hoc, uh, uh, on an ad hoc basis, other clubs will come in and we'll, we'll do some work with them as well, which is good. And in, in terms of research, just a real sort of mix, uh, I guess, I'm just finished my, or finishing my PhD uh, working with uh, British fencing, but Really anything in strength and conditioning and strength and power, uh, it would be something I'm, I'm really interested in. But um, yeah, I'd like, to, like to, to go across the, the spectrum of different things that we cover, really. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what, you know, obviously I, I, uh, I was forced to sit through some of your lectures last year. And, <laughs> and, um, and I'll tell you what, and, and, you that course exactly. was one of my greatest achievements. <laughs> <laughs> that that is that is very true. That is extremely <laughs> true. Uh, yes, I'm I'm proud. In fact, I graduate tomorrow, um, and I'm uh, I, I I would I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be wearing a survivor's t-shirt. I survived Anthony Turner's strength and conditioning program. Um, now, actually, the, the reason why um, I wanted to do this podcast with you um, was because you gave us a lecture last year, which was about um, periodization. Um, and you, you know, periodization—it it wasn't new to me um, because I've been a strength and conditioning coach in my former life, um, and I was aware of it. And there's stuff out there. But when I read, you—you uh, you gave us some papers to read. Uh, you've written a paper in the NSCA journal, um, and also you had given us a uh, uh, recommended text, which was the uh, uh, the fifth edition of periodization theory. Um, and methodology training by uh, Tudor Bomper and Greg Half. You know that really. <coughs> that I use it as a book stop, uh, a doorstop now. Um, <laughs> it's a very effective uh, tome. Um, but the the thing that struck me about that was just how important periodization is. Um, and I should qualify that by simply saying I'm not a strength and conditioning coach. Even though I did your course, I did it to update my knowledge in strength and conditioning science, which I feel. Um, and I've said on this podcast many times, is essential for, um, in my case, I'm a sports nutritionist. I, I need to know what the training demands are of my clients. And I'm not going to do that if I don't understand more of the science and the theory. And it's, 
it's such a fluid science, it keeps growing and developing. Um, but the one area that I had touched on before, as I said, was periodization. But it wasn't until I did your program that I realized just how big a topic periodization is and just how important it truly was, but also um, just how appropriate it is for various methodologies, various levels, you know, various types of expertise within sport and exercise sciences. And we've explored some of these in this podcast already um, where I've used the terms nutritional periodization or, you know, nutritional strategies, which, um, you know, which we time or cycle uh, around, uh, we, we, we time those strategically placed, sorry, those interventions around training. Um, so I felt that we should delve more into periodization because it's something that is not covered enough in the bulk of programs out there. But for me personally, it's proven to be an extremely useful um, area. Um, so uh, since it's something um, that you know a lot about, um, I, I figured you could start this podcast off with basically a, a basic overview of periodization. I mean, what, 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 what is it I'm even talking about here? Yeah. So periodization really is the organization of a long-term training plan, which is designed to bring about uh, some uh, peak performance within your athlete. And that peak performance is going to coincide with um, a particular date. So you have, to, you have to plan it so that when you arrive at this date, your athlete is ready to go. And that's because it's, it's the competition you've been training for. It's the Olympics. It's some trials that you've sent an, an athlete on. Or um, maybe it's the start of the season. And so by, by virtue of that planning process, you can sit around and, and really try and understand how the body best responds or best adapts to exercise. <laughs> and using using that knowledge then, you can figure out how to systematically input the different variables within that training program. So you might, for example, and, and in most cases, you're going to want your athlete at the end of that periodized program to be to be very powerful and to be able to sustain that power output for, for prolonged periods of time. So you would think back, right, how do I get my athlete to, to that particular state? In the initial phases, you'll then start to look at developing um, a work capacity so they can then undergo the different training you're about to put them through. You're then going to want to develop a strength profile and then from the strength develop the power. And you would follow that pattern because logically one feeds into the other. So it would be, it would be silly to do it in any other, any other way. But also periodization is also about recognizing the need for rest and recovery. Mm. And often quite underrated uh, it, it, for athletes that do train full time. <laughs> if you think all the different adaptations that you're trying to induce by virtue of this training program are gonna happen when your athlete is resting. And if you take away the rest or you minimize the rest, then you, then you take away or minimize the opportunity for adaptations. So you have to be very clever with where you put that in as well. So, and an example would be that where your competition is, in the lead up to that competition, there's going to be a taper. And that taper is not designed to bring about any further enhancement in, in performance, but simply to let everything that preceded it flourish and show itself at the time of competition. That athlete steps in there, rested, recovered and fully adapted. Yeah, I, th I think it's important to recognise that in order to achieve something, you, you, you don't just keep bashing away <laughs> uh, at doing the same thing again and again. I mean, there, there's, there's that definition of madness uh, that psychologists use, which is if you keep doing the same thing again and again um, and expect different results, then, then that's potentially madness. Well, we do that all the time um, with training. I mean, less so, of course, in the elite spheres, um, because we've recognized a lot of this stuff through experience, through uh, scientific um, uh, exploration, that sort of thing. But, you know, you, you, you just look at any gym. Um, you see the same person walking on the treadmill, doing the same thing, you know, holding onto the handlebars, adding incline, drinking their sugary sports drink, and you see them 
the following month, you see them a month after that, you see them a year later. Uh, they're doing the same thing, they haven't changed. And yet, you, you just want to ask them, why are you still doing this? Because they feel that simply putting in the time, turning up to the gym and doing something, um, is going to help them arrive at their, at their goal, which I'm assuming is to lose weight or you know, to get fitter. So the same thing um, needs to be addressed with where we're going with, with athletes, I guess. And um, I mean, how, how should we, I mean, if we break this down a bit so that we can maybe help people understand this, this business of, of what you referred like, like to a period of time, we have a date. So let's say we call it an annual training plan. But of course, you know, the Olympics are every four years. So it could be a four year training plan. It could be a, an eight week training plan, but it's going to be broken down into different, different sections, right? Um, right. So what, 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 I mean, what are those, those sections and, and, and why do we even break it down into sections? So it's almost like you have um, smaller programs or smaller plans within the larger periodized um, program. And you would typically have your, your, your big plan as your macro cycle. So that might last, for example, the whole year or, or, or longer in the case of the Olympics, of course. And within that macro cycle, you then try and condense it down to, to hit a particular target on the journey to, to peak performance. So the first stop and, uh, along, along the way is, for example, to develop um, uh, work capacity or is to develop strength or is to develop power. And that, that, would be, uh, that chunk would be your mesocycle. So you'd have a collection of mesocycles that act like your, your targets and your objectives uh, along the road to your, to your macro cycle. Then you would go real into the detail of the plan and that would be your micro cycles. So the smallest uh, uh, components of, of the plan and that might be your training weeks and the individual sessions that make up that, that, those weeks. So you really, can really provide a lot of detail to this and recognize again, I guess it comes back to recognizing that one that, that one um, biomotor for like a one fitness quality can potentiate the other. So if you hit it hit it in a sequential order, you're gonna get much better gains. You're gonna get much better adaptations by virtue of that. And like you're saying there, if you kind of walk into the gym and you do a bit of this and do a bit of that. You know, you, you could get better. I'm sure you will you will make improvements, but nowhere near to the efficiency of doing it in a structured way, whereby one 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 session potentiates the other, and that's what we're about. Especially when you're working with the athletes and they've got certain amount of energy or certain amount that they can give to to the program. So you don't want to be wasteful with that. You want everything you do to be very very much so. And pushing them forward towards the goal at the most efficient rate possible, um, and and I, I think part of that is that you, you'll find you'll find a program that starts to work. And and again, what you sort of alluded to in that the guys at the gym might do the same thing, and it almost sound, sounded quite monotonous in what you was describing. And that's a part of periodization is that by by the very virtue of mixing it up you're going to alleviate some of the boredom that might be, well, that is very detrimental to training. A lot of, a lot of the gimmicks that come out within the fitness industry might not do anything other than, other than get people to exercise. Yeah. And actually, that's not really that bad a thing. It, it, might be pretty, it might not be the most efficient thing to do, but if they're actually doing some exercise, then it's probably... It's, it's not so bad. It's providing some variety and, and some motivation to to exercise. Yeah, I I mean that is an issue, of course, and I guess you've got to look at what someone's doing and if it's encouraging them to actually be active, um, even if it is a load of BS. Yeah. Uh, if it's not harming them, the mm. you still you still got to consider the cost to benefit, and it's better than doing nothing. But. Yeah. But because we're, I mean, you and I work a lot more in elite sport, and I know many of the listeners are working with anything from college athletes to elite and professional athletes, or um, 
members of the public, but you know who who are working with who, whoever the coach is for some serious benefit. So if we're to take this stuff seriously, mm. whether it's an elite athlete or um, someone who's just after serious results, w w you know w we need to do some goal planning, obviously, um, mm. with our client. Uh, we need to think about what we're trying to achieve. Is is this program ultimately going to land you um, at a competition, a triathlon, a, uh, uh, you know, the Olympics, uh, um, a season of rugby? Or you know, because it doesn't have to be, of course, one day event. It could be getting you ready for an entire season. Yeah. Uh, so in, in the worlds that we tend to work in, um, you, you know, when they talk about dividing up this this plan, if you like, um, the three main phases are, are generally going to be considered to be preparatory uh, phases, uh, the competitive phase and the transition phase. Um, perhaps you could explain why, why, you know, why we have that. Why, why, why do we not say have two phases? Why, why don't we just get straight into it? Um, I know you've alluded to this, but, but maybe we could start to break this down a bit more. Yeah, no problem. You know, one of the the, the sayings I really like with imperialization is uh, one that was, uh, I guess, coined by um, uh, Professor Mike Stone, and it's um, soon ripe, soon rotten. And I absolutely love that. I love that. It says that you have to take your time on this. The longer the longer your plan, the greater your potential um, to uh, for, for peak performance, or the higher your peak will be. And not only that, the longer you take to get there and put down the appropriate foundations along the way, the longer you can maintain that for as well. And the third thing is that the, the longer it takes to lose it, obviously the, the um, involution, if you like, the, the detraining that will happen will be long. So you want to take your time getting there by putting down appropriate foundations. So going back to what you were saying, you have the, the preparatory phase before you go into the competition itself. So you take the preparatory phase and you can break that down into um, the general and um, sports specific. In that general phase then, you want to improve your, your work capacity, your aerobic and anaerobic work capacity, so that you can stick with the program and, and, um, and, and turn up each day ready to go. Also within that phase, you have your technical uh, training as well, and you want, to, you want to try and master the different exercises so many people lose momentum by not starting um, the program by being a master of the various techniques. So if you take, lots of people like to do the Olympic lifts as an example, let's say a power clean. Well, if we're doing, if we're training you and the, the power clean doesn't feature for the first month, for example, by the time we get to there, if you then have to learn that movement, the momentum is gone. And we'd have to we have to rewrite the plan because you now you're not getting the adaptations because you're just having to go through the, the 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 process of learning the exercise. So that general phase is about ticking every box that sets this this athlete up to to, to hit that peak performance. Also, when you look at someone, the way that people move and you know movement screening has become so popular now, and um, people should have appropriate mobility and not have any compensations. It's an opportunity to fix all the discrepancies in the way that people move, the muscles that are inactive or when they should be active and um, getting the, the, the muscles to um, uh, function in synchrony with each other. So that you can do a lot of corrective work as well. At the end of that phase then, the athlete is ready to tackle whatever you throw at them. And that's really important because now we're, we're about to go into some strength training. We're about to lift some heavy things up and put them back down again. But we have to do that correctly. If we're not doing that right, we're going to get injured and we start all the way back to the beginning again. Or if we're not doing that right, we're not hitting the right muscle groups. We're not recruiting the right muscles. Yeah. If they're not fit enough, maybe they're not, having to, they're not hitting the rep ranges we want, not able to do the amount of sets that we want as well. Maybe in that other phase, and again, it's such a holistic thing, but if they've not learned the appropriate habits for, for sleep and diet and, the, and, and <clears throat> the psychology that governs it, then they're not going to rest well enough to hit the next session again in, in time. They're not going to refuel in time. So we have to hit the ground running when it counts. 
And that's why that, that preparatory phase is so important. And that preparatory phase, for the first time they do that, that's going to be the longest it will ever be. Because every time you come back to it, you're just topping it up. And you're topping it up every, every time because bad habits creep in. Athletes forget uh, things along the way. Um, so so we, we get that in place. And then we start to move into the more sports-specific stuff. Again, the lifting, the, the, the jumping, um, more plyometrics. And again, can you imagine doing plyometrics with an athlete? And you're watching them land and their knees are clanging together. Or they're landing and, and they're, they're, they're crumbling. They can't keep stiff at the knees or the ankle. What, what a shame. What a waste of, of a training session. Because we'd have to go, well, look, actually, this training session isn't doing what we had planned it to do. Right. Because we hadn't addressed all those issues in the foundation phase, in the, in the, in the, in the general phase. So it's not really a plyometric phase anymore. And then the strength, you're trying to maybe get the, the, the glutes so you want a, a nice deep squat, but they haven't got the mobility to do that. And in fact, they're getting to quarter squat and they're coming on their toes, they're leaning forwards. Now, we've got to stop that as well. So when we get to that phase, the, the sport-specific, we're, we're doing our power cleans, or as, as we've seen, we're probably better off doing maybe jump shrugs and um, pulls from, for high pulls from hang. And... Um, and we're doing some of our sprint work, but with good technique, agility, again, with good technique, no risk of injury. Um, and then finally, we go into the, into the competitive phase. And I think, again, it's important to note that when you get into the competitive phase, it's about maintenance. When you're in the competitive phase, it's about recovery. It's rest and recovery rule the roost when you get there. They have a game. You top it up, you might top up their strength. Let's say they, they, they got in there and they, they can back squat, I don't know, uh, 160. For you, Lauren, that would be quite hard to, to imagine having, having seen you in the flesh. But I've I, forgotten when I last uh, lifted that. <laughs> that that's not even, doesn't even make my warm-ups, mate. <laughs> so uh, if they're doing 160 during a competitive phase, it would be an unbelievable achievement if we was able to keep them squatting 160 throughout the competition phase. Really, the real, the real goal is to try and minimise the loss from that. To go into that thinking, you know what, let's try and hit 165 in the competitive phase, that's, that you probably are likely to, to not necessarily overtrain them, but induce unnecessary fatigue that's going to end up accumulating to more negative effects. So as soon as you get into the competitive phase, they are what they are. And now you do your very best to maintain them. And that's probably where, if the periodized plan has enough time, you can make some really good gains. But if you leave the start of your plan to the last minute, so pre-season training for some football clubs, you know, even like local clubs would be notorious for that. Pre the football season starts, or the rugby season starts in... Um, in, in, in three weeks, right, we better do something. So what they do, they go crazy. They run themselves into the ground. Mm. And then they go straight into the season. Unfortunately, by that point, the amount of fatigue that they've generated, the muscle damage that they've generated, they've not provided it any chance to recover and supercompensate. So to adapt. So they actually got to start the season probably a little bit, you know, a little bit worse for Wes, uh, really. Um because they haven't given themselves a, a long enough time to, 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 to taper, let the adaptation flourish and go into that season. And also, then you're at that point, you are what you are. So it's very difficult to, to make some improvements along there. Uh, of course, unless you start the season in horrific shape, sure. then, uh, then the only way is up. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, at the end of the day, periodization, it, it, it sounds like a, a cool sort of thing, you know, that, that wow, I've, I've just learned about periodization. But actually, if you think about the world that we live in and the things that we do in our normal day-to-day -day lives, we periodize stuff. I mean, just, you know, uh, cooking dinner, you have to plan ahead. You have to think about what is the end goal. I'm going to make spaghetti bolognese, for example. You, you know, there's a, there's a series of things that you have to go buy the ingredients. You need to look them up, potentially. You've, you, you've got to know what you need, you've got to know what to chop up and you've got to know when, you know, what and when needs to go into the pot so that everything is timed ultimately to produce at a certain time. Um, you know, uh, 
Uh, yeah, you're I, right. I think that yeah. actually probably a lot of people are engaging in a periodized program, but without realizing it. And I think that probably what, what we have to do or, you know, work in this sport is that you have to do that with the, the greatest amount of efficiency mm. and recognizing how one thing potentiates or, uh, the other. And that's probably the bit that they, they might be missing out on as well. Mm. Um, because, and also you can say, look, if it's the guys, if it's say guys that are going to the gym and they're going to the gym once a week, you know, what is there really to periodize within a week? You now, you, whatever you've got in that one week, you could potentially lose again by the following week. That's probably you chest know? day. That's probably chest and yeah, bicep. that's right. <laughs> so you could yeah. get away really with doing roughly the same thing because, yeah. you know, you're going to go up in fitness and come down in fitness again by the next session. And you're only going once a week, so you might not get that bored that quickly. So you've got to keep things, you know, in perspective mm. and um, appreciate that lots of guys do are already doing the, the periodization. It's just that hopefully things like this can can help them appreciate how they can improve what they're doing yeah. uh, to, to to a much greater extent uh, as well. I mean, it's really the guys that are, are going to the gym, sort of four times a week, maybe three, four times a week, but as well as that, you know, engaging in other activities. And uh, one of the um, analogies I use which I quite like is, that, is the difference between a professional athlete and a semi-professional athlete so, so that professional athlete that, that, that trains hard um, and might train as hard as the and the semi-professional athlete might train as hard as them but that professional athlete finishes training works hard and goes home sits on the couch and probably does a bit of plays on a PlayStation or does a little bit of online gambling I'm sure but while they're sitting there doing nothing they're adapting and it's beautiful. They're all, and they're recovering. They're resting, and they're ready to go. The semi-professional athlete, however, goes home, uh, and then maybe goes back to, or goes back to work. And you know, they might be um, doing a, a, a job that's quite labour-intensive, as in, I don't know, working on a building site, for example, moving up and down ladders or whatever it is up on their feet all day long. Now, that physical activity will interfere with the rest and recovery that, that, that's going on. And you know, there's gonna be, let's say they're up on their feet all day, there's gonna be some fatigue in their legs and then they come back and they find it squat day. So then there's no chance they're gonna be squatting and hitting the same, the same numbers uh, on a regular basis. So they've also got that to contend with, but you know, it's not even just about the job that you do and why periodization is so important because all the things that can affect your training is just the general your general lifestyle, your general day-to-day -day living and, and the different stress that you have. Noting that, you know, when, when we train, we, we're inducing stress on the body. The body reacts to that stress and goes, right, if this happens again, I better be better prepared so I'm going to adapt and compensate so that I can handle it. And that's basically what overload is, right? So mm. then you, you give it a greater stimulus. The body the body then has some, some level of, uh, of damage or gets a shock and then rebuilds it stronger to, to be able to face that again. So, um, but, but the point is, is that the stress is very um, generic. The, the, the body will face stress from all different types and whether, it, whether that stress is induced by training or induced because at home is stressful or schoolwork is stressful or the job is stressful, that's still stress that will affect the, the, the training. And that's probably still stress that requires recovery from. Because you could, for example, have a tough exam. Your hormonal profile would, would be quite catabolic. You might have had um, your, your uh, adrenal gland going crazy and releasing cortisol. Um, your, your adrenaline released and left you almost glycogen depleted. And then you're going to the gym. So we have to even factor that into it. Is that gym session worth it on that day? Are you actually going to get any better or potentially are you going to get worse? So everything is, is periodization. And if you can factor that into it, that's, that's incredible. But that's probably just about knowing your own body. If you feel tired, then, then you know, maybe going to the gym at that time is, is not the best thing for you to do. Absolutely. So it's, it's a real holistic overview you have to have with this. Yeah, and I, I think it, this helps to clarify or, or make it clear that we need to invest some time 
learning about this stuff um, so that we can appropriately understand what the needs of our clients are and, 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 and what to do and when to do it because quite clearly, you know, this, this stress, this overload can, can be excessive. Uh, we, we need enough um, to get the, you know, to, to stimulate the adaptations, but too much is, is also a problem. And, and that is an issue that happens a lot. Both recreational athletes, you know, they, they do the same thing all the time, like in that example I gave. It's just, you know, there are lots of people out there that, that if you looked at their training plan, they do the same thing every week for an entire year, and they wonder why they're not getting somewhere. Um, but also with athletes, whether like recreational triathletes, endurance athletes, it's all about getting the mileage in and, and perhaps that isn't the best thing. You know, just going out and running every day is not necessarily the best way to achieve your PB in a marathon. A little bit of strength training, a bit of recovery. Um, yeah, you know. I, I think so. And it also is about understanding that. And again, the marathon was quite interesting one in that people go to a marathon and they're going to leave it, you know, some people might leave it to the last minute. So all of a sudden they've gone from doing no mileage a week to then trying to clock up, you know, sort of 10Ks, then going to train to 15. And the body has not done that before. So you're going to induce more damage than you're going to give it time to recover from and adapt. Mm. So some damage is fine, of course, and is appropriate and is what's needed. But to go too far, you're going to create an environment where it just can't recover from. And certainly not recover in the time frame that you're providing, given how short you've left it. So the frequency, the frequency with which you're going to have to train. So, so it, even in that, even that respect, it's quite relative. For some people to go out and do sort of um, 10Ks, uh, you know, maybe every other day or every third day is okay. But that's the relative uh, um, intensity of someone that's just starting and only doing 2Ks. Mm. You know, that person has to start doing the 2Ks, let the body adapt to it, become accustomed to it, and then increase the stimulus. But you cannot skip a step, and it comes back to that soon wipe, soon rotten. So whatever you're doing, you have to appreciate that you have to give the body time to adjust to it. Um, and with that adjustment, you can then up what you're doing. It will feel the same to you because relatively it's going to feel just as hard. But to, to, to jump in at the deep end um, and try to get yourself you know, ready for, for uh, the event with only two weeks' notice is, is not going to end well at all. Absolutely. And that's yeah. That, a lot of people might fall short short on that. Um, so yeah, you, a nice long lead into the event is great. Is is what you want really? So I mean, look, it, you know, it's it's clear um, that what we're talking about here is is sort of this periodization situation is is sort of a combination of phases of training that are structured um, with, with the whole purpose of stimulating. Um, not just physiological, but as you mentioned, psychological adaptations mm. um, that that are designed to progressively develop the various components of of what would usually be performance, but it might just be body composition or, or whatever. But I guess from that perspective, we're talking there are physical adaptations that are needed. There's technical mm. adaptations and even tactical adaptations and yeah. um and i would throw into that um nutritional um adaptations uh, are also required and that you know that's something that does come up a bit and as a sports nutritionist i one thing that i have found useful about understanding periodization is knowing when my intervention is or is not as important as maybe something else um and that is you know we, we all get a bit excited uh, and biased about our own thing, you know. If we're if we're strength coaches, you know, it's all about squats and deadlifts. <laughs> um, if it if it's you know nutrition, we're all about you know the diet, the you know the hitting the leucine thresholds, the 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 carbohydrate intakes. You know, if it's psychology, we're all about um, the, the the psychological parameters of this. But there's a time and a place for all of these things, and and I guess a problem can also be that we need to be mindful of when our interventions will interfere with our ability to progress to that ultimate goal, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I like the idea that, um, you know, the, 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 the training program, the, the periodized plan is, uh, is a live document, is, 
it, it can be changed. Mm. It can be changed because of the way that the athlete responds to it, and it might, which might be very good, or or actually, you know, you didn't put enough time in this in this particular particular phase. My favourite phase, really, or the one that is so important, is the one whereby the athlete, at the end of it, the athlete has mastery of technique, has the mobility um, to, to perform them as well. And you're confident then that every exercise they're doing, you're actually working the muscles that, that it's designed for. And visually it looks good and, and visually you're happy that there are no compensations happening uh, that are happening. And, and the thing is, that might take a lot longer than you think. You know, some athletes will speed through that because they have great mobility and bang, they're gone. Other athletes will be there for ages. You've got to adjust that plan. And then you might get to another athlete and you say, you know what, your strength, your power is brilliant. But working with, uh, so, so working with yourself, we could identify an athlete that actually, they're just not fueling themselves right. You know, we're building an engine, but they're sticking no fuel with it. So you need to be spending your time uh, uh, addressing nutritional needs, but, you know, behavioural changes. That's where you, we need to be sitting down with you and going through that. Mm. Um, same could be in, in, in psychology. So you always got to go for the, for the biggest window uh, of opportunity, if you like, and, 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 and keep adapting it appropriately. But the, the, the plan is a nice template that you, you, you set out to try to, to stick to, but... Obviously, every athlete will follow a slight deviation of that, and then a different window will expose itself for that particular person. And if you can get all things on side, all the different behavioural changes in place early on, you're going to have a, you know, you, you're going to be having a good, um, a good program in place, and and your athletes are going to be set up to do some 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 good things, uh, some good things in place for sure. For sure. And mm. and uh, you know, again, it right as well and. Making it peak at the right time is is great. It probably depends on, on on how many times you've you've been through it and the foundation of, of of your physical fitness and psychological state, etc. Is how long you can maintain um, that that superior performance. It's there's going to be some detraining at some point. So. You know, you want to you want to make sure that you're you're doing it at the right time. And examples could be that, you know, there's certain exercises that athletes respond really well to. Let's say, for example, that's the deadlift. Now, some some guys like the deadlift, and the other guys like the back squat, and whatever that exercise might be. We'll keep that keep that um, in in the program, but keep taking it out as well. So keep them hungry for it, and maybe use that one closer to the competitions when you want them to start hitting PBs. So, so, so take it out and then put it back in uh, nearer the time. Um, and there's going to be different different ways that, that we can do that to keep the motivation high and keep the scores the scores going up. And part of that um, variability within the training as well, trying to get rid of that monotony. Um, and you know, also as you progress through the different stages. And let's say we're in that that sort of final stage now. And, and again, coming back to that window of opportunity. Is that the end stage for, for most athletes is going to be a powerful athlete, okay? Hmm. But in reality, um, power is a function of strength. So, should the power? How long should the power phase be relative to the strength phase? Well, it kind of depends on the strength of the athlete, right? How well they've responded to it, and and what they've kind of got their scores up to. If the if the guys aren't you know sort of squatting one point six times body weight. You know, at that as a quite a conservative estimate, the power, the power work isn't going to be as effective as just getting stronger. To, to be honest, other than it's a mix-up, other than it's a change in their in their stimulus, and so you're going to create a little bit more excitement. But you might only switch to the power for one week and then get straight back onto the strength again because that's where you need to go. Um, and again, sort of coinciding that with the other disciplines within sports science as well, so that so that they're aware and 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 changing up along those lines. So now that we're starting to understand that there's a need to have a plan, um, which you know, different people have different goals. Uh, could be a uh, could be a day, could be a month, could be a week, could be a year, could be four years. There's all sorts of things about that, but it's not just about limiting the structure of a, plan, a training plan um, 
you know, to, 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 to simply just those, those timings. Obviously, one goal here is to um, uh, manage the stress that accumulates. Um, and that's one angle, and of course that's about the right kinds of training, but not overtraining. That's where things like nutrition and sleep uh, can be periodized in there, and we've discussed that on this, this podcast. Um, we've, we've, as I mentioned earlier, there's, there's different kinds of things that we're going to try to achieve, whether it's physical or uh, tactical or, or, or skills, uh, all of which need to be taken into account. And if, if all you're looking at is body composition uh, to look better in your in your mankini, Anthony, mm. um, uh, then that's one thing. But if if it's a complex sport that you're involved in, then there's all sorts of things that need to be taken into account. But um, you had mentioned, of course, uh, uh, biomotor um, abilities, and, and that is an area, of course, that um, needs to be periodized. But, I mean, could, could you just quickly discuss periodization of biomotor abilities? Yeah, yeah, okay, so pretty similar to, to what we've discussed in that do you need so again the end product is probably going to be going to be power hmm. but to get to power you have to be strong and to appropriately work on your strength you have to be able to move appropriately and you have to be able to be able to recruit all the right muscles so there you have your your potentiation there and in the terms of your strength you want to be trying to hit certain strength scores or you want to be making the guy as strong as possible there a common question is, can you be too strong? And the answer is, hell no. You, you can't be too strong. The stronger you are, the more powerful you're going to be. The Maybe a better phrased uh, question is, is, given how much time you need to spend on getting this strong, you know, what's, what would be a, an appropriate strength um, uh, level? But stronger you are, the more powerful you be, and, and then that, that will feed in. But also the, the the better you'll be at other movements as well, providing you're technically sound. That is, but in terms of um, uh, plyometrics, speed work, acceleration, top end speed, agility, uh, as well. So all of that. Every time your foot hits the floor when when you're running, you have to overcome your your relative mass and your mass. Your perception of what your mass is to you will depend on how strong you are. If you're if you're if you're a strong guy and you weigh 80 kilos, well, that 80 kilos won't feel as heavy as a weak guy who's who's running that 80 kilos. So you can you can change that relative mass. The stronger you are, the quicker you can produce the force to leave the ground. And um, uh, again, that comes into that idea of um, uh, rate of force development, and of course, sprint being a collection of ground contact times. So the so the minute that you can reduce, or that as you can get down your ground contact times, you're going to run faster, and you're going to, to sustain that longer. If you have the strength, or, or your your relative strength is such that that um, your perception of, of of effort is is quite low. So we would put programs in place. To, to make that happen and I, I guess maybe as an example program um, that, that uh, you could put in place would be starting off on a, on a particular load that, that you can that you can lift and you know doing doing um, five set doing five sets of it up in the up in the weight then doing four sets and and so on and, and until you get into doing two sets of of two or two sets of one at a very heavy weight and there you have that periodized approach to, to doing that and it doesn't have to be that every session you go up it should be that every session maybe two sessions in a row that you complete that exercise with perfect form you then earn the right to go up another weight um, or an, uh, um, yeah the load goes up and that's important because what might happen is you, you, you're going up and then you have three days, four days off, five days off and you start to detrain. Well, at that point, you think to yourself, right, let's go back and, and let's, let's tick that. Let's go back to that checkbox again. I need to do this load twice in a row with perfect form and know you're on the right to go up. And as you start to do that, you start to move from more um, strength endurance, hypertrophy type training into, into strength and then you can then work from there that strength and employ that strength within, within power training as well. 
So there's lots of, you know, there's lots of that that goes on, and there's lots of different programs that you can follow. You know, you ain't got um, um, uh, speak to someone in the gym and they're following X, Y, and Z. Huh. You know, the question yeah. is, well, which, which one's the best? Well, you, you know, may, maybe they're all good. Maybe the best approach is to do all of them one at a time to <laughs> save any monotony. Because some of those programs are horrific. Yeah. I mean, the commitment you'd have to do, I think you'd only have, you'd only be able to do one of them once a year and, and you'd want to quit. So you'd probably do one and then move on to the next one and then do another and move on and and keep going. I, I mean, but for as long as your scores are going up, you could argue there's no need to change. And there's one athlete in particular that I can think of and he's doing a program. He's been doing the program, same program. Almost identical for six for, for for six weeks, coming seven and eight weeks. I was looking at the scores, man. You know, all these scores you're getting, you are still improving. You know, truckloads here. You're still doing really well. So, so, and it was him saying that you should we mix it up now? I said, well, look, based on your scores, no, you're you're strong. You're getting stronger. You're getting more powerful. You're doing fine. The caveat to that, of course, is if you're bored. How are you feeling? Are you enjoying it? Are you, you know, because whether you do the, a squat or a deadlift or a front squat, it's just the one way of mixing up something that works your legs, you know, mm-hmm. crudely put. Um, and so it, 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 he was fine. So we thought, right, well, let's do another couple of weeks because the scores are going up quite nicely. And a couple of weeks later, he's like, right, yeah, you know what, I fancy a change. And it's probably the change that will that will then start to improve the the, the strength and power scores that much more as well. Um, yeah. I think I think Anthony, I think you made a good point there, which um, makes me think of something that we need to talk about quickly, which is this this idea that you know it, the plan's a plan, but it also potentially needs to be adaptable, and it might need to change as you're going, because like you say, you you don't just follow the recipe you know when you're cooking if you're a decent cook you you also taste as you go and that allows you to determine and evaluate whether or not you you really are going to get where you need to Um, and it's that sort of quality assurance that that we as strength coaches or physiologists or nutritionists or whatever that's why we you know we need to assess our baselines and compare back to them periodically whether it's body composition or whether it's symptoms or strength and power markers or metabolic tests, we need something to determine where we are in that plan because it might, you might not automatically be ready for that next phase just because, yeah. just because the piece of paper tells you. And that is, that is one of the problems with those sort of online training plans. Not, not only is it not really designed for you as an individual, but the other problem is is it, it doesn't adapt with you, and that that's an important part of this situation. Is that it's like you said, it's a it's a, a what was the phrase you use? It's 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 like a, a live template. Um, yeah. You know, it, it it's not a static thing. It it needs to move around a bit. Whereas you, as the the practitioner, the 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 the, the consultant, you need to be able to know how to adapt the program accordingly. I, I mean. Yeah, that's right. And I think if you think back, we were saying that the um, the plan was a you know the the, the macro cycle, the, mm. the long term plan was a collection of mesocycles, and those mesocycles are kind of uh, checkpoints along the journey. You know, have you achieved this? And and if so, we're ready to move on. Well, you have to look at that and go, are we ready to move on? Have I achieved everything I, I need to achieve? Because um, if you haven't and you have the time. Then go back and and do it again. Again, to reiterate, the, the caveat to that is if they're bored, but you should still try and stick to the same thing, but maybe mix up the way in which you do it. Arguably, it's not been working anyway, or it's the athlete that just needed more time to to adjust to it. So you can do you can take your time, and I, I think the problem is when you start and you have a competition that you know is three months out, and you've got three months, and you get to that, let's say you've got three mesocycles each, each one month long, and you might have done the first month for, you know, uh, work capacity, strength endurance, the second month strength, and the third month power, for example. If you haven't hit the checkpoint for, for work capacity in, uh, at month one, 
and you think, right, I should go back and do it again. Well, maybe you can't. Maybe you are at that stage. You've got to work within your limitations, which already is, you know, the soon ripe, soon rotten, and you've already started to to reduce the the, the the peak height of your of what your performance can be. Because if you can't move properly right now, we need to choose an exercise that doesn't test your mobility or doesn't test your your range within, you know, this this particular way. Um, so you start to cross off exercises. Well, we can't do that. So let's do this one. Um, and it, it, you know, if you're doing if you're doing squats, maybe the box that you're squatting you're squatting to a box now, and that box is getting higher and higher. And maybe at some point they just can't take that load because they can't hold their 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 spine stiff enough at a particular load. So you're starting to limit it, but you've almost got no choice. You have to develop strength with what you within what you've got, um, and then you move on to the power and maybe maybe you haven't hit the the technical goals and now what do you do for for power we have to then compensate and work around that and choose choose exercises they can do all the while knowing that they're just not good enough or they're not the best ones possible but given the state that the athlete's in um it's what you have to work with and so so i really you know it goes back again for me the most important point is that foundation and is about a behavioral change as well that at the end of that phase, every athlete can move perfectly well, um, and also is is pretty clued up. Is quite independent. You know, there should be sort of a basic list of things that they can do. Some psychological tactics, nutritional tactics. They should understand sleep. They should understand rest. They should understand how different parts of stress within their their life that they're not with us uh, will affect their training. And that should be the cornerstone. And if you have long enough to do that, and that's you know, if, if your athletes. If you've had your athletes for quite a while and you've been working for them, that's normally that's normally in place. And then you start to see some big games, but mm. maybe the athletes have to also have to appreciate their individual qualities and not try and chase the person in front of them. Um, that that can that can be difficult or be be put off by um, uh, by some of the scores that other guys are getting, and, and yeah. we're not even letting them lift heavy at the moment, or we're not even you know letting them do that exercise for for whatever reason. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, they 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 have to understand the the, the relative demands of that and how it can change. They yeah. could get injured or they could have to go to um, uh, a different type of uh, or, or a competition. They could be called up to a particular competition, uh, rested for a competition. So all the, all the while it, it, it changes as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree, mate. I, I, look, I think, you know, if we loosely look at this from a sort of integrated periodization concept, it's that understanding that lots of different things are happening. Um, and it's important that when you construct a periodized training plan that we are integrating different training factors, which, which you know, also involves the, the, the support of those training factors. Like, for example, for me as a, as a, as a nutritionist, I, 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 you know, I, there's all kinds of different things that I need to be doing, but I also need to know what the purpose of that session is. It's not just a case of, oh, you trained let's get enough protein and carbs into you because there might be um, other processes that require, um, sorry, there might be other reasons um, of that intervention that require certain uh, approaches. For example, you might need high carbohydrates for one situation, um, but then you might need low carbohydrates for, for another, even though you know, you're, just, you're just thinking, well, they trained. Um, uh, you know, we, we've covered that in other podcasts, you know, the, like the whole, the, the, the different types of molecular responses, for example, that you'll get to different types of, of uh, training in different states of carbohydrate availability. You know, one can improve strength training adaptations in a sort of a, a, a fed carbohydrate state, whereas, um, you know, going for a run in a low glycogen state may um, enforce some adaptations that are going to improve things like fat oxidation or um, mitochondrial biogenesis, for example. I mean, you know, whether that's relevant or not, you know, is another story. But um, these, these things all need to be considered. Yeah, um, I like that. And the hmm. detail you could go into it is brilliant. You know, there's been some, um, some good studies, that, you know, even within the same program, the same training day, how should you 
program the different exercises. You know, should you have strength first or should you have power exercises first? If you was going to couple them together, you know, and then they're saying, well, actually, if you start with the strength first, you get you get a far better anabolic environment, so the release of testosterone, which which will better affect the power exercises that you do. So you can put it into all different levels as to as as to the best way forward. Huh. I, I think a lot of it as well, and in an ideal world, that's exactly what you would do and, and, and what we're trying to do. There's obviously all the, the logistics as well of, of what the athletes can do and what's available and their, their, their timing. And, um, you know, that's when, for example, if they're doing the, the sort of train low, like, like you're talking about, you know, some of the real important stuff is that we then need to tailor that program. And that's why we have to, all the different coaches of all the different disciplines need to work so closely together. Mm to make sure that there's that one thing doesn't negatively impact the whole point of prioritization it should be a continual improvement the whole way through everything like a wave just going through the plan and getting bigger and bigger the whole the, the whole way um so 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 yeah for sure that's the getting into that 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 detail is, is going to be important and all collectively working together as well absolutely no no i mean you know the, the integration of different professionals is is essential whether you're a PT learning to refer to other people, be um, you know physios or uh, nutritionists or whatever. It's for your client's benefit. Um, trying to you know trying to just do your thing um, isn't always a good idea. Um, listen, we're sort of getting to the end of this. Uh, I've got a feeling we could talk for hours, um, of course. Um, but I, I, I know periodization has been around for quite a long time. Um, many decades in fact and it started um uh you know different versions in different countries um but one thing we haven't discussed and i thought briefly we'd just get into this is there are different kinds of periodization and you hear about different models of periodization mm. could you just quickly give us an overview of that please? yeah yeah so really good so actually and, and I'll, I'll start with there's the traditional form of periodization and, and non-traditional. So traditional is pretty much so what we've discussed the whole time. So, for example, uh, a set period, again, I'll just use a month as an example, a month for, for strength, endurance, month, strength, month, power. And then, uh, again, you if you've laid their foundations down well enough, you might have to return to it. So after you've gone strength, endurance and, and technical, strength, power, then you go strength, power, strength, power, up to the competition. You know, you're always flip-flopping between them two because strength is the factor of power. The other one is non-traditional periodization. And I really, you know, this has its place in, uh, in a lot of team sports, especially is when the competition starts. And that says that rather than spending a month uh, on strength alone, you know, which which makes sense in, in, in terms of how how the, the body keeps adapting and you can you can keep up in the load um, uh, with each session. Is you go within the same week, or you might you'll have an alternate basis between sessions. You'll have um, a um, you could have a strength endurance session. You could then have a strength session and then a power session, uh, or you could have, for example, a conditioning session. And you would just rotate through those three sessions or four sessions all the time. And so you're, everything's mixed together. But there is periodization, but it's happening in a very short period of time. And the, the, the research on that is, very, is incredibly supportive of it. You know, some research says this is as good as, maybe some say this is better than the traditional periodization. Obviously, there's arguments two and four. But as to which one you do is legit. Is determined by the, the 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 constraints of your environment or the logistics of your environment. So, if I'm working with a team sport as an example, let's take football. In the in the off season or in the pre season, they can do the traditional form, a month for each. But when it comes to the in season, that's just not possible. It would be crazy to do that. So, in the in season, they do they alternate. They have one session strength, one session power. And then they'll have a game and whatever rest, and they'll come back one session strength, one session power. Remember, we're only trying to maintain this. I also, also work with the, with the army and the, and the special forces, and that's exactly what we do there. We do a non-traditional approach to training because they could be deployed at any moment, or they go off on different um, tasks or, or um, different training uh, at any time. 
So they have they have their sessions. They have um, four sessions, and they will rotate through those four sessions until they get bored, and then they do a different four sessions. But there's four sessions for it would be strength, power, conditioning, strength, endurance, for example, and then and it would just keep going. It would just keep going all the time. One session trying to potentiate the other, and there's enough variability in there as well. And uh, again. If someone gets injured, or if um, someone was to uh, miss in, in a game scenario, if someone was to miss a game or or play extra games or a game rescheduled, it doesn't matter. What was the last session you did? It was the strength one, right? Well, this time do the power one. Or what was the last one you did? I don't remember at all. It doesn't matter. Just start again, you know, and you, you work through. So you still have a periodized approach. Uh, approach that fits the demands of your of your environment. Uh, you know. You, you can't just shoehorn stuff into it. If it doesn't fit well, it's not going to be done at all. Um, but so, so that would be the basic principles of periodization. Obviously, you've got within traditional, you, you have um, uh, different different types as well. You've kind of got the uh, basic model of periodization. Again, it's sort of flat loading. Let's just choose your um, choose your your week within um, uh, hypertrophy strength endurance. And you're just going to do that week uh, for four weeks, and then we're going to change it. And then for four weeks, we can do the same thing, uh, but strength. And then we're going to do the same thing, um, but but power. So really, the the variation is but is by virtue of, of mixing up the 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 motor uh, the biomotors. And then you have uh, intermediate strategy, and intermediate is you would you up the intensity each time. So you, you might up the intensity by 5% each time. And you normally have a, within a month, so we go four weeks within the month, you have three ascending weeks and then one descending week where you, you reduce the volume that you're doing. And then you repeat, but the whole time the, the load is, is, get, is, is going up for, for weeks one, two, and three, drop for four, weeks one, two, and three, drop for four, and always, always getting higher. And... I guess the last point I know we're sort of be running out, running out of time soon is that whenever you you think that you need a rest or you need um, to taper or you need to reduce the volume, as even in that example there of the three to one, three up, one down, try not to let it be intensity that is reduced. So let's say, for example, you're doing four fours at 100 kilos, for example. In your in that fourth week, that down week, or in the taper period, or when you're trying to rest and recover, keep keep the hundred kilos the same. Instead of doing four fours, you could do four twos, you could do two twos, you could do three ones, whatever it is. Just do it less than four fours, or just do less than sixteen reps, um, but keep the hundred kilos because that's what you're trying to maintain. There's no point coming down in that. So intensity stays the same. Uh. If possible, frequency always stays the same as well. So if you go to the gym five times a week, still go to the gym five times a week, but just do a little bit because we want to keep the load the same. We don't want to get worse. We just want you to rest and know that you can still hit those numbers. Um, so that will the frequency. And then the last, the last part of periodization or the last time, which is for super-duper um, advanced athletes, is going to be what's called the, the, the conjugate system. And to be honest, you could work with athletes your entire life and never find someone that this fits. Because this is for super advanced athletes, very, very good strength training age. And the only way they're adapting is if the stimulus is so great that it would break the average man. <laughs> it would, it, and, and, and really, so you take them to the point of overtraining or but, it, but it's not overtraining, it's this phase of force I refer to as overreaching. And then they've worked so hard to get to that point, but then the recovery they get from that is where they get their super compensation from. Um, so, yeah, that's the, that's the last one, really. But, but for, the, for the most people, you could just go to flat loading or, you know, or, or the intermediate phase. And it depends how often you train. If you're training twice a week, you don't need a down week. We don't need a down session. You're not training hard enough. Um, but if you're training four or five times a week, then fine. Then you then you have a down week. Um, so so keep it 
keep it relative to your your goals and what it is that you do. You know, don't don't take something off the shelf and think, right, this fits what I'm doing because it might be ineffective. You might not train hard enough to deserve a rest, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, I realised what I need to do is um, is create a T-shirt, and on it, it's just going to have. Uh, I'm currently doing a super, you know, a, a conjugate. Uh, periodized uh, session and I know that those in the know will will just will, in my direction they'll just be respectfully nodding their head <laughs> that's right, you know, that's right. <laughs> like, you're just awesome um, I, I have realized that um, and I could be wrong and I know listeners will probably pick this up but I don't think we mentioned context <laughs> wow. so I just had, I just had to mention it it's not it's um, <laughs> it, it's not it's not going to be published if I don't have the word context um, so um, look, it's been great to have your your time. Uh, we, you know, we clearly could come back and talk about this in different, you know, have different focuses for this, which maybe we will. Um, but it's been great to have you um, on the podcast to show your knowledge and experience. Um, uh, for listeners that want to learn a bit more about um, your strength and conditioning program that you run and uh, get hold of your uh, uh, papers that you've written and so on, how, how do they find out more? So uh, probably the best, best thing to do is go on to the uh, mdx.ac.uk, which is our university website, and there you'll get the link to um, our strength conditioning course, and my bio will, will come up. I mean, you can just type Anthony Turner at Middlesex University, and, and, and the bio will come up there as well. Um, and you get to see what, we, what we've done. I guess you have things like ResearchGate, yep. Twitter, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Anyone? Yeah. Your tw- your Twitter's uh, Anthony Anthony Turner uh, UK. UK. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one. That's, that's the one. The... That's that's the that's that's the one. That's the man. Um, <laughs> and uh, and if you want an even better program at Middlesex University, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, you can come study sports nutrition with me. Uh, yeah, I'll be there as well, right? I, 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 that's right, yes. yes. I, I don't know, uh, I'll have to decide whether you're eligible to apply or not, mate. <laughs> uh, so, uh, listen, that, that's, that's cool. Um, that brings us to the end of, of this podcast. I, I, I need to say thank you to the uh, uh, sponsors of our podcast, which is uh, Healthspan Elite, um, who uh, produce fantastic um, evidence-based uh, sports nutrition supplements that are accredited by Inform Sport. Um, and you can learn more about their, uh, their products at healthspanelite.co.uk. Um, apart from the uh, MSc in Strength and Conditioning that Anthony runs and the MSc in Sports and Exercise Nutrition that I run at Middlesex University, you can also learn um, all about this sort of stuff and um, many other uh, sports and exercise nutrition-related topics on the ISSN uh, Diploma in Sports and Exercise Nutrition, which is at issndiploma.com. Um, which you can learn here in London or undertake uh, internationally. Um, graduates of that, of course, can um, also now go on to the MSc at Sports Nutrition, which is very cool. Um, but if you want to learn more about what we're up to at Guru Performance and the, uh, the podcast and all the other stuff that we get up to and about me, of course, uh, that's all at guruperformance.com. So thank you all for listening. I, uh, of course, am Laurent Bannock, and I look forward to bringing a podcast back to you very soon.